This is the Consumed Podcast, featuring conversations with the eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers of California's Central Coast. I'm a food writer and your host, Jamie Lewis. Before we get to the guest, I want to tell you about an event I'm hosting in collaboration with At Her Table, a food festival that celebrates women. The live event is called Apron Strings, a conversation about motherhood and the hospitality industry. And it's happening Tuesday, March 7th from 6 to 8 p.m. at There Does Not Exist Brewing in San Luis Obispo. In this live podcast recording, I'll speak with four mothers who own restaurants, Fabian Tefera of Ebony Slow, Brittany Gonzalez of Central Coast Tacos, Shani Covey of Luna Red and Robin's Restaurant, and Sam Whitaker of Bing's Bao Buns. And we want you in the audience. Admission is free, but you need to RSVP to claim your seat. Head to letsgetconsumed.com slash events for more info and a link to that RSVP. Thanks. I also want to give a shout out to some of the Consumed Podcast sponsors. We all know eating fruits and veggies is an important part of staying healthy. Fresh, local produce has the most flavor and nutrition, but how do you know what's in season locally? Become part of the Tally community as a member of the Tally Farms Box Program. Tally grows their produce and partners with other California farmers to include the freshest and best-tasting local produce you can find anywhere. Farming on the Central Coast since 1948, the Tally family created the Tally Farms Box to make healthy eating easy and affordable. Here's how it works. Select which size box you want, then choose pickup or home delivery and how often you want to get your box. It's flexible for customization and vacation holds, and included in all boxes are tested recipes and storage recommendations. Come be a part of Tally's healthy lifestyle. Visit tallyfarmsbox.com and use promo code CONSUMED for $10 off your first box. That's promo code CONSUMED for $10 off. Eat fresh, eat local, and eat lots of California fruits and veggies for better health. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Rancho Steanoveros and Native Nine Wine are excited to announce they've reopened wine-tasting hospitality in Santa Barbara County, and they're currently taking reservations for private tasting and tours. These are hosted by the winery's new brand ambassador and educator, Wes Hagen, a 30-year veteran of Santa Barbara wine growing and winemaking. His tours are the stuff of legends. If you're ready for a dive into the greater wisdom and fun of Santa Barbara wine, a deep tasting of many vintages and wines in a picturesque setting with world-class hospitality, salami, and bread, you need to come experience this. Tastings and tours are $50 per person, a fee that's 100% refundable through a wine purchase or by joining the wine club. Get a reservation by texting Wes at 805-450-2324. Rancho de Anaveros is also having an open house in Los Alamos on Friday, April 21st from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. For $30 per person, you'll get wine, stories, and history. 
Come experience this winery designated by Wine and Spirits magazine as one of the top 100 wineries in the world. For more information, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com. Okay, on to the episode. Janie Wilhelm is the spark plug behind Lumina Wines, a producer of what she calls small batch wines made for happy consumption. A graduate of the Cal Poly University Wine and Viticulture Program, by day Janie works on the winemaking team at Desperado Wines, whose winemaker, Vilia Frum, was on the podcast back in 2019. And because Velia is married to fellow winemaker Russell Fromm of Herman Story Wines, Janie works a little bit for him too. Confused yet? No worries. This is an easygoing conversation that covers the appeal of Riesling, the importance of mentorship, and the beauty of Cheetos. Big shout out to Janie's mom, Debbie, who listens to Consumed, and to her husband, Thomas, who delivers my bread every other Thursday. See? It's such a small community. Okay, here's Janie Wilhelm. Say your last name for me and scooch up to the mic there. there Wilhelm. Wilhelm, okay. I love yeah. people's names. Is yeah. it German? It has to be. So it's actually Hungarian. Mm. Uh, my dad is adopted. So it's mm. my dad's side of the family, but, and they are Hungarian. My dad is not. Mm. Since he likes names, yeah. my full name is Jane Elizabeth Wilhelm. Mm. My dad's side of the family is Jewish. So we celebrated Jewish traditions growing up, and my initials are Jew. And so. Oh my gosh, it's true. <laughs> Yeah. I just got married in June and uh, Thomas mm. took my last name because I wanted to keep my initials. Yeah. What was his previous last name? Rich, okay. which is fine. It's great. Yeah. But I didn't really feel like being a rich and he was very open, didn't take much convincing to. He's cool, by the way. He's my bread delivery guy. You know what? I just realized I gave you the wrong tea. Oh, Here. thank you. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't touched it yet. Oh, I don't care. Um, yeah. He, I wasn't sure if, if you knew that that he's was. precious. <laughs> well, okay. So your mom, Debbie. Yes. Is so kind. And so she follows the podcast pretty regularly. She's so sweet. She's a saint. She, so like, that's the impression that I got was that oh. she was really quite special. But um, I, you know, you never know as just a casual friend or acquaintance of hers. Right. Um, what somebody is like. So she's a saint. Why do you say that? She's so funny about Instagram. She's, I feel like <laughs> when I was growing up, like not so tech savvy, but now that she is on social media and Instagram, she loves it. And she always introduces me to cool artists and things. And I, and I love that she found you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so she is just like such a wonderful person. Like she is go, go, go all the time, always busy doing a project or something. And is just, the most generous person that yeah. I know just has always been that way. She seems super open-hearted and yeah, um, she, she so She's I so funny. posted this picture of Thomas delivering my bread and he, his wardrobe <laughs> is outrageous. I yeah. just love that people exist who wear like full track suits with like a leaf print on it. I don't know. There's, it was just wonderful to so, have him pull up. And so I took a picture of him without his permission. Uh, and I put it, or I put there. it on Instagram without his permission, which I figured if you're wearing a track suit like that, you probably are okay. Mm -hmm. And um, your mom 
messaged me and said, I mean, verbatim, oh, Jamie, that's my son-in-law, Thomas. <laughs> just so like loving, warm. And uh, yeah. yeah, I just get a sense. Probably had it. some heart emojis in there. I think like there may smiley have been. face emojis. She <laughs> yes. likes to throw those in there a lot. Yeah. Thomas is very just himself yes. and just through and through. And that's what I love about him. He, he works remote, like biotech company on the computer a lot. No so way. he always likes to have a side job that's just something really fun for him and usually helping out friends. So Sam, uh, who has bread bike and him, been good friends since growing up in Spassful. And so he utilized an outfit that he had from Burning Man and just decided that it was going to be his bike riding outfit. It was totally totally a Burning Man (laughs) outfit now that you mentioned it. Yes, totally. (laughs) So how did the two of you meet then? Yeah, so we met through mutual best friends. So I have been in the Central Coast for a little while since I went to school at Cal Poly. He um, actually had a few best friends already living in the area that he knew from growing up in Spastopol. Something about Spastopol, they they stick together, those But why did they leave? It's so great up there. I don't know. I know. It's great here, but it's great up there too. So he moved down here to be with them uh, from Oakland and just from doing a lot of traveling. So I was friends with some of his friends and we just met uh, through, yeah, mutual good friends and slow. Always the best way. Yeah. Um, He works for, I'm sorry that I'm only asking about him now. So everybody but you. Um, (laughs) So he got married in June and he is, so I don't know why I just assumed that he rode bikes and delivered bread for a living, but he <laughs> works remotely for a biotech company. Mm-hmm. So he's a, he's a scientist. So he, yeah, he, uh, this is pretty much what he studied to go to school for in, uh, Berkeley. And mm-hmm. he's been working for the same company for like eight years. Wow. And so I think it's called to sell a gen, to sell your genes. Oh, wow. uh, and so he, I think he <laughs> finds it to be a good stable job, but it's doesn't, it's, he doesn't, he wants more. Yeah. And so he has also worked other bakery jobs in town. Yeah, the fun factor may not Yeah, be he's there. worked at different yeah. coffee shops just to also, he's such an extrovert and he yes. needs like his social time and get out of the house and get away from the computer. So I love it. This has been a, a dream job for him. Yeah. Well, and so if he's uh, in bio and science, I mean, you as a winemaker are as well. I, I mean, to a certain degree, you have to be, right? Totally. I I went to school at Cal Poly studying wine and viticulture, but my concentration was actually wine business. So I actually mm. didn't have as much of the science background. Right. I had more like ag business classes, but you're definitely right. It's like fermentation science every day yeah. during harvest time yeah. and checking up on uh, how the fermentation babies are doing and mm. making sure that everything's healthy. And even when the wine is aging, giving it love. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I don't view it as much as like a science perspective, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I almost view it more from an artistic perspective. Yeah. Um that you're just kind of guiding it along. I think that if I was working at a larger winery that was making wine, bulk wine, and the wine has to be consistently tasting the same uh, um, year in, year out, then I would probably need a lot more of like a science background. Yeah, that's true. Like lab analysis. Is it, you know, consistent? What are, you know, is it meeting its numbers? Oh yeah. There's a lot more winemakers that are a lot more 
scientifically technical than I am. (laughs) Have you never worked for a biggie? I actually have. Um, So my first job outside of college was with Gallo and I, it was a marketing internship. I was still trying to figure out where I wanted to go in the world of wine. And I wanted to learn from the big boys. And, uh, I, uh, so I was not as much in the production at that point. And that was just really interesting learning how their marketing they have is the science is down to a T yes. of creating the Edna Valley Chardonnay for a specific kind of demographic. And so you were at Edna Valley Vineyard, at Edna Valley okay. Vineyard and got to sit in on really interesting meetings. Also learning that was not what I wanted to mm-hmm. do. And mm-hmm. again, nothing against yep. Gallo. I did. I, it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I get it. Yeah. So that, that was really interesting just to see how organized their systems were. Yeah. I feel like I gained a lot of knowledge from that. Yeah. And actually, uh, even before that, in 2014, the first harvest I worked was at Dow. Oh, wow. And they are quite uh, higher production now than they were back then. But even still, they were making a good amount of wine. But But I like a luxury brand, too. It sounds like you've had a good education in different styles of approaching the consumer and the product. Totally. Mostly just because for a while I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do in the world of wine. I was just dipping my toes in different sides of it. And when I was going to school, Cal Poly, something that a lot of the professors would recommend is just work a harvest. Even if you were thinking of going into the business sides of things, just go and get your hands dirty. And so it just lined up through a friend of a friend through Lizzie Dow, Daniel Dow's daughter, I met her at a party and she's like, Oh, you're studying wine. Do you need a job? Do you want to work an internship? And I was like, wow, actually, yeah, I'm I'm about to start looking for one. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, my dad has a winery. I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And didn't, I was 21 at the time, really didn't know much about the wine scene in Paso. And she's like, okay, I'll give you uh, my dad's number and I'll get you guys connected. And so he said, oh yeah, come out to my winery and drove out there up the windy roads and came up to it. And I bet it was an eye opener. Yeah, it was, but that was a pretty great experience for mm-hmm. first job in wine. I before that hadn't really connected with it yet. Yeah. It wasn't 21 yet. Wasn't going out so wine then, tasting. So then why did you, I'm always curious about this with Cal Poly students because you really have to know before you're 21. I'm, and look, I'm not, I, I'm not naive thinking that nobody drinks, but, but wine is not usually the first thing that people try. So why would you get into wine and vit, declare your major before you were even really not alone legal to drink, but able to get around and experience the wineries. Sounded really interesting. Sounded fun. There were a lot of different avenues that you can go with wine and also creative outlets as well. And I felt like even as a teenager, okay, this is an industry that's only going to be growing in California. It's not going away. And I also did have a father who was very into wine. So I feel like that was like maybe a little bit ingrained in me subconsciously. Mm. Um, My dad just growing up would give me glasses of wine all the time Mm -hmm. and tell me, what do you smell? What do you taste? And I would take sips and I think that I didn't like it when I was younger. Sure, I didn't enjoy drink, but also I like did find it fascinating and maybe was able to appreciate that this was someone's art. Yeah. 
And he, my dad made wine for fun with his friends and their one of their garages. And he would even bring me along to like check yeah. up on the fermentations. And um, so I was around it quite a bit. He, he loves to say how when I was uh, eight years old, I was running the corking machine when they were <laughs> bottling the wine. So I was introduced to it, but to be honest, I don't, I don't think it was really even because of that. I, it was interesting once I started taking the classes, a lot of my peers were, they had family members or their yes. parents had wineries. For sure. And I definitely felt a little behind because I didn't know anything mm. about wine. So I think that something that I have done a lot in decision-making in life is just kind of going out on a limb and just thinking, this sounds interesting. If it doesn't work out, I can do something else. Yes. Yeah, that's so interesting what you say about students having come with their own experience of wine already be through family or whatever. I forget all the time what an industry standard bearer Cal Poly is and that if somebody's, let's say there's a big family winery <clears throat> and do, very successful, doing really well, which there's so many of in California um, or Oregon or Washington, you know, you really mm -hmm. think all of them. Um, but if a family has a child and that child, you know, they're interested in having that child go into the wine industry and take over the business, they probably want them to become, you know, to get the, the book knowledge and the hands-on experience that they couldn't get anywhere else through Cal Poly. So it didn't even occur to me that there's probably this whole legacy of kids coming in who already know so much oh, more totally. than the average person just thinking, well, I'm going to try this. Right. Which is amazing. And, and maybe even for them, maybe they are still kind of figuring out their own path and yes. is this what I want to go into? Mm -hmm. But, um, I think that that maybe is changing a bit. I see a lot more winemakers who are open to having their kids go a different Avenue where I feel mm -hmm. like that's maybe just like a kind of a previous generation yeah. mindset. Yeah. Oh, this is my business and my children will work in this business and yeah. as well. And I'm passing it down to them, which is really beautiful. But Valia and Russell, who yeah. I work for, Desperate and Herman Story, they have no expectations with their child, <laughs> Minnie, who's eight. And they always ask her, Minnie, which wine are you going to work at? And she says, neither. She's very diplomatic <laughs> like that. She doesn't, she doesn't give an answer. So, um, yeah, I, I, I could, I could see that being just a, a also really wonderful for passing your business along to, yeah. to your kid. Yeah. Letting them kind of own their education in that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed my cat is freaking out right oh my now. Gosh. She, I gave her a ball of string and she is having a lot of fun. So I'm sorry if she's distracting, but man, what are you going to do? <laughs> Try to control a cat. Yeah. Right. Um, I have a, a roommate, Maria, who just rescued a cat Aww. five, six months ago now mm -hmm. from woods. And I've never lived with a cat before. And yeah. I've always thought I was a dog person, but it turns out I love cats too. Same. I, I'm both. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. They're, they're so entertaining. They're so And they're so spazzy. <laughs> so so I just, spazzy. As you were talking, she's like oh leaping. <laughs> Like the living room is a jungle. It's a playground. Oh, as long as the kitchen isn't a jungle to her, that's fine. Oh yeah. I feel like that's something we're we're teaching our cat Nobby. Yeah. Get off the table. There's lots of clapping. So not okay. Yeah. yeah. Um so you so you mentioned that you're working for um Desperata and Herman Story. I didn't actually realize you were working for Russell as well. 
I mean, it's all in the same Are you same a package family. deal? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> when you work for one of them, you're in the world of both. But I'm definitely full-time desperata. Yeah. But when it's harvest time, it, we all work together as mm. a family. And that's kind of something new that we've been doing in the last couple of years is uh, it used to be with all of the Desperata fruit, all of it would come to our crush pad at Desperata. And we would have the sorting table set up there and Herman's Story would have their own mm-hmm. setup. But we started doing this two years ago and it's been so much fun for everyone and it it saves water. Like partnering? We've been partnering and just having one sorting table and one crush pad set up at Herman's Story. Mm-hmm. So all of our reds at Desperata and Herman's Story and my wines with Lumina mm-hmm. and Chris's wines with St. K and everyone else who mm-hmm. makes wines at Herman's Story, everyone's wines, uh, red fruit comes into Herman's Story and we sort it together as a team. And then we bring our bins back to Desperata for the fermentations oh. and all the winemaking. But it means that there's only one crush pad to, to get set up and to yes. clean at the end of the day. And which takes so much time. We, mm-hmm. So even when the last fruit comes in, you think, oh, we're done. You're not really done because there's like an hour or so more of cleaning. Ugh. And so, and we've become even closer as a crew between the two wineries from doing this. It's been really yeah. fun. So our white grapes still go to come to Desperata because we have our own bladder press there yeah. to make the white wines. Um, but it's it's been a fun, fun way for us to... to feel like we're all making the wines together because it takes a village. Yes. Right. And I feel like what Vilja and Russell, I, I, you know, I'm not close in with them, but from the outside, it looks like that, that compound really is, um, like an incubator for a lot of talent. Um, I had Riley, Roddick on. I still think of her as Riley Hubbard. Oh, I will um, always think of her. Yeah, as Riley yeah. Hubbard. Well, it's I mean, so hard at that. Yeah, yeah. Her wine is Hub and Wines. Yeah. But she, uh, you know, there's just so much encouragement there. The fact that the equipment's made available to you. Do you think you could make Lumina wines without? You know, no. I, I mean, yeah, the support. <laughs> no, there. I mean, I'm for a number of reasons. I wouldn't. I can't imagine working anywhere else. Hmm. It's. I also just love working with the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. I'm just so happy with like my day-to-day life. And so this is just like my happy side hustle passion project. And I plan on probably always keeping it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And Valia and Russell have, yeah, just it, they, if their employees approach them and ask, I'd like to make my own wine. Here's how I want to go about it. And if they have a plan, then they are totally supportive of it. We still reach out to the vineyard managers. We still have our own contracts. We have our own businesses. Um, But I would not have been able to go through all of the processes of getting the licensing with TTB, ABC, all all of the letters, all the compliance. If it really wasn't there, literally holding my hand through the process. There's still a lot of like, things that I have had to do on my own. And of it's course, I, yeah. to give myself some credit, but still totally. I can't imagine going through this process without mentorship. And mm-hmm. I just totally applaud those who do it themselves yeah. because yeah. it is really difficult. And even Cameron, 
who has ultimate Willy wines, mm-hmm. he does all of the ordering the glass for all of the, oh, the brands. Thank you, Cameron. That's yes. Amazing. It's amazing. And so I, I have picked out the glass and mm-hmm. I know all the, the glass that I want for each wine, but he is the one with the connection. So I, I do feel like that with, because I am a part of the group of people that I'm with in this, this incubation center, mm-hmm. like you said, that I can't imagine yeah. doing it on my own. It's, it, I'm able to have more fun with it mm-hmm. and truly make sure that it is my, my art, no compromises mm. because I don't have to, to have these like financial woes because I have my full yeah. income as well. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. So cool to have almost like a hot house of, you know, where, where people can learn and it, I mean, if I know anything about, or if I can imagine anything about mentorship, it's that I'm sure Velia gets just as much from helping you as you do from her helping you. You know, there's a, there's a real benefit to, to doing that kind of work and helping. So, so what was the first wine you ever made all by yourself? So I started work, working with Velia December, 2017 and didn't, totally have the intention of wanting to make my wines at that point. I was just really happy to be working around the clay, the terracotta amphoras, and just being a part of this new group of people and kind of getting my footings, my bearings. But then I did start to have this feeling like I would, that does had popped up here and there through my wine journey in these different places that I've worked where I was intrigued and making my own wine and especially Riesling. Yeah. Yeah. I love Riesling. Of course. And I think also just because there's not very much no. of it being made in California. No. And so that in itself kind of gave me this eagerness. Like I want to make really good California Riesling. Yeah. I want to change people's perspectives, uh, on just, I have this conversation with people about Riesling all the time with people who are buying the wine and coming in to taste a Desperata. Oh, I don't like Rieslings. They're sweet. Oh, but, but is yours sweet? It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be sweet. It could be made in a dry style. And also there can be very well-balanced sweet Rieslings with that said. Incredible ones. We, there are so many sickly sweet Rieslings in California that I totally understand where people have that knowledge from. I think it was more popular in like the eighties. I'm just going to say, you know, you hear that all the time. That Riesling is, people think of it as sickly sweet. I don't think I've ever had a sickly sweet Riesling. I do think that that's a, a product of the past. Am I wrong? I feel like sometimes, like I, I've gone to certain restaurants, maybe like random restaurants, like even like a sushi restaurant, mm-hmm. and there maybe is on the menu a Riesling, and maybe it's like a German Riesling that is sweet, like maybe Dr. Lucin or something sure, like sure. that. And um, I think. Germans think that Californians still like sweet yeah. Rieslings and that's all that we want to drink. Yeah. So that's what they give us. Um, <laughs> but I've had, so, yeah, just so many beautiful Rieslings from Alsace and well, especially from a restaurant that I used to work at, I worked under a master sommelier and mm-hmm. that was how I really fell in love with Rieslings yeah. that he introduced us. We would always do at lineup before service at 5 PM. Most days he would pour us a wine that would be by the glass and so he introduced me to how beautifully complex Rieslings could be 
And so that is what just like made me fall in love with them. So I, I always knew if I were to make my own wine, I wanted to make a California Riesling. Yes. Um, I've heard before, and I think it's true that Riesling is a sommelier's wine. I mean, so many, and I think a lot of winemakers just love Riesling. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't want to overspeak here, but I think if it was the only wine I drank the rest of my life, I'd probably be okay. You know, I mean, really it is so, it can be so beautifully balanced. I've had, when we were in New Zealand, um, I was working at a winery in a tasting room and some of the Rieslings there were not so great, but it wasn't because they were sweet. It's because they had no acidity. And so they kind of just like that, I think will fool a mind into thinking that it's sweet. If there isn't the acid to, you know, come on the back end and chase it. So, um, I, that's the only time I ever had, Oh, and there's a ton of that petrol smell, Mm -hmm. which is like, can be lovely, and I really right. love it in a lot of German Rieslings. But this one, the fact that there was no acidity and the petrol smell was so, so strong. It wasn't my favorite, but we had some amazing Rieslings in New Zealand, too. Mm. Yeah, but it, it's just like with any wine. If anything is out of whack, like yeah. the petrol can be beautiful in a yes. subtle way. But if it's too intense and it yeah. does, doesn't taste cohesive. Like sucking and, on a tailpipe is kind of what it <laughs> not, Yeah, like. not my, not my no. favorite thing to do. It's not a tasting <laughs> note you want to no, see. Right. Yeah. Well, this, so I've had Riesling from you. It was one bottle and it was the year of. Yes. I uh, love how. It was 2020. I love the story of how you bought it too. How did I buy it? Well, I you, got it for Mother's Day. You bought it for Mother's Day. So yeah. that was when you're so to go back to your question that you asked a couple minutes ago about how I started yeah I had made one barrel of Riesling this was 2019 vintage and uh, so I bottled 24 cases so excited did a lot of like soul searching in the name Lumina and Mm -hmm. I then 2020 rolled around it's time to sell the wine it was in bottle in February and then quarantine happened and uh taste room was shut down I wasn't working at that Mm -hmm. point and I was like, interesting. I have all of this wine. What do I yeah. do with it? How do I sell it? And so I started posting on Instagram, on social media, who wants to buy my Riesling? I will bike it to you around the neighborhood. That's right. And yes. then Sam, who I'm friends with, he had a really good idea. How about we come together and do a Mother's Day bundle? So yep. it's a loaf of bread. It's a bottle of your Riesling. And it's stepladder. And it's stepladder creamery cheese. Yeah. cheese. And at that point, I was not seeing very many people. That was so much fun. We biked around the community and delivered the goodies to people. And I remember dropping it off. I don't think you were here. We dropped it off. No, I wasn't. And out out front. But I didn't know of your podcast at that point. I was like, oh, that's fun. Jamie's getting it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So even as we talk about COVID and early lockdown, I start to feel that like dread feeling. Yeah. (laughs) You talking about, I don't have a job, so what could I do? And the fact that you got so much joy out of seeing people. And and people would, we'd knock on their front doors and they would come out and they'd be so happy. We'd be social distancing and saying, we haven't seen anyone in so long. And we'd have wonderful conversations. Mm. And I actually made even a good friend, my friend Lilia. She hit me up and she wanted to buy the Riesling. I didn't know her, but she she knew of Sam. So she, after the fact, after the Mother's Day bundle, just said, hey, I would like to buy your Riesling. So I biked to her house. I (laughs) love it. And we just 
we're outside her front yard just talking for a while yeah. and now she's one of my good friends. So, so great. that was, that is something that I look back on. It's just really fondly. So that, okay. So there's a whole other side of that mother's day story oh. that you don't know. Ooh. So, um, you know, of course it, I was wanting to support whoever was being affected by, by lockdown and all of the, um, friends in hospitality, food, drink, whatever. But that year, um, my son's birthday fell on Mother's Day, and I, I was like, <laughs> "Listen, are, you're not a mom yet, not yet, or, no. or at some point, okay, it, no, or you don't have not to, a mom. whatever. Just you're not a mom, okay." <laughs> so, on Mother's Day, for whatever reason, you know, we all talk about how gross it is, and Mother's Day was, you know, developed by Hallmark, whatever, whatever. Mother's Day is a big deal because it means. I have the ability to say this is exactly what I want. And no, I, I think Mother's Day is beautiful. It is. I it love is. it. It totally, and who cares if, it, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't developed Moms by Hallmark, deserve but. all the love and appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just something that like everybody protects that day. Yes. Um, and I would say even more than a birthday because a birthday mm. is, well, first of all, we all have them. Um, okay. And it's about you. Yeah. But Mother's Day is about you as a mom and it's just different. And I'm fully acknowledging that it's a hard day for a lot of women and men. It's a super hard day for a lot of people. It can be a hard day for a mom. Uh, you know, it's totally in any case. So that day I was like, dang it, his birthday's on the same day as mother's day. (laughs) And on top of that, we were so, so desperate to get out of the house. So, we, with another family, which was totally not kosher at the time, we, with another family, went and rented a place in Shaver Lake and had the best Aww, weekend, Yes, you know, um, rationing toilet paper the whole time. <laughs> God, what a weird time. Jeez. Such a weird time. But ahead of time, I was like, I'm going to get home and this little bundle's going to be waiting for me there. Um, at Shaver Lake, we made a big deal about my son and his birthday and everything. And there wasn't much of a thing made about Mother's Day. My friend Christy and I, who are both moms, it was like, what about I'm, us? I'm looking at you. No, we knew it was going to be all about him. Mm-hmm. But I knew that this little bundle would be waiting for me. So it was, just, it was just a little postponed. It wasn't yes. going to be falling on Mother's Day, but no. you were going to. Yeah. There, and you, you know, were treating yourself to something special. Totally. And I still buy that stuff ladder the it's like a marinated cow's milk cheese it's so beautiful I had it yesterday I think I ate it too much for a while because I was I loved it so much I was eating it so often during quarantine because we all needed to treat ourselves that give me the cheese I I don't know if it's been a little while oh maybe I could try it again and I'll like it but I had to stop yeah yeah some point (laughs) (laughs) well so your first wine was a Riesling but now I see you've got you know what I don't know how to say is it Valdeguille 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 so yeah now I got I actually have three wines I didn't bring my Coonwans either but I I oh uh, you're so random I know (laughs) I love it I (laughs) am really fascinated with these varieties that you don't see as often and it's not just for the sake of I want to be different I want to be unique no, you've but fallen in love with there them. There is an intention behind it. I think I have fallen in love with them. And also, I like the idea of working with varieties that you don't see planted as often because my I, I want to encourage more biodiversity in the vineyards. Yeah. Just with the history of growing of viticulture in California, 
there did used to be a, quite a few different types of grapes yeah. being grown in Prohibition times. That's when Valdegui came to California. It was during Prohibition times because it was disease resistant. It was produced high yields mm-hmm. and just added some nice like fruitiness to blends. People were all about blends during Prohibition is it times. French or is it Italian? It's from southern France, okay. Languedoc, Roussan region. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's barely any even planted there now. There's more okay. of it in California. So it was almost even kind of going extinct, and it was thought to be Gamay mm. when it was brought to California. Oh, so it's like Gamay. It's Gamay-esque, yeah. and so it was even called Napa Gamay for a while. It was planted a lot in Northern California. And finally, there was someone... In 1980, this was even before, like, I think they were doing DNA testing, mm-hmm. or maybe it was even before that. They were before they were doing DNA testing of vines, and you were, you could, there was someone who's, uh, they're professional of looking at the size and the shapes of vines and berries and saw, this doesn't look like Gamay. This is yeah. Valdig, even though and listened to this French dude. And then <laughs> fast forward, like, early 90s, finally people did DNA testing, and they realized, oh, it's, it's not Gamay. It's Valdegui. He was right, yeah. And it is much more of like a fruity expression. It's It's got the medium body of a Gamay, Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I had had some from a few different producers and just really fell in love with it. But also to, to tie it back to what I was talking about with biodiversity, for so long there were wine critics like Robert Parker mm-hmm. who were saying, Cabernet Sauvignon, this is the noble grape. This is the best wine. Uh, you know, this Not is valuing this, this kind of No, and style. and and that, which is okay. This was what his preference was. Yeah. And he's Chardonnay, this is the best. And everyone took that so seriously that mm-hmm. everyone ripped out all of these other vines and started just doing mono farming and just Cabernet Sauvignon everywhere. And mono farming is awful for the soil, yeah. awful, awful for the environment, and doesn't even produce as good of fruit and then you have to start introducing insecticides and fungicides and all that yuckiness and so I feel like we are now at a time in the industry where there are starting to be a lot more adventurous wine drinkers Mm -hmm. of all ages Mm -hmm. young and old they're I and not to knock Cabernet Sauvignon I still I truly love Cab I truly love Chardonnay but I think it's important that we have a lot of different types of grapes being grown yeah. in the vineyard. So in by making them, I'm also in turn supporting that idea yeah. and that concept and trying to only work with vineyards that are farming organically, sustainably, yeah. biodynamically as well, or care about regenerative farming. That's I, I decided, well, I don't have to be doing this. I don't have to be yeah. making my own wine. So no compromises. I'm going to do it exactly the way that aligns with my... Yeah. philosophy and which my values. is the beautiful beauty of owning your own business and doing what you want and I do yeah. think that consumers now we live in a little bit of a bubble but I do think consumers are more willing to try things outside of Merlot Cab Chardonnay um but it takes education which I always mm-hmm. feel funny saying education because wine education is like okay that's it's right. a very, it's so fun could it possibly be education because for so long people were so pretentious about it oh, yes. you don't know what, you yeah. don't know what a tannin is oh yeah, yeah. and so i think that we, there seems to be a lot more of a shift to get away from that yes. and have wine be a lot more accessible and that's even the style of wines that i'm trying to make i yeah. like making wines that are a little more medium bodied and approachable and even the labels are kind of fun and playful and so cute I'm not trying to make serious wines. Yeah. And that's not to say I'm not trying to make high quality 
want fun tasting wines and I'm still trying to make wines that I love to drink, but I think in my head, when I think of like a serious wine, I, I just relate it to Cabernet Sauvignon or yes. Yeah. Just, I think of like a fancy label yeah, and, um, maybe like just one person's name. Yeah. So it's so funny looking at these. (laughs) Um, I, I, you know, I'm trying to say the word cute less because it's it I don't mean to like is it diminutize like don't mean to minimize the these don't look like frou-frou no. like cutie wines they look right. ser- they do look serious but I think because I've because I've been hanging out with winemakers and wine labels long enough to know that it's changing the the aesthetic is changing for labels mm-hmm. um when I was let's see so it must have been like 2009 maybe or 2008 was really the height of the critter labels where you had (laughs) you know like rabbit ridge kangaroos yellowtail yellowtail all those kinds of things um but this doesn't look like that you know this is different these labels are so adorable um now I'm, i'm doing it again i'm like making i'm in making it sound like little kids, but they are so charming. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to have, <laughs> like I, like you said, there's like the balance with it. I still want them to be beautiful and eye catching yeah. on the shelf. And I want the Moises Gomez, who's my friend, who's also in the winemaking at Herman story. Mm-hmm. He is the artist that has created the oh, art for it. these labels. Yeah. And I just let him have free reign. I have a vision for it. I know what I would like to have on the label, but also I want I want him as an artist to have his full run of expressing what he thinks Lumina is to him as well. And you must trust him to do that. Yeah. So it's fun collaborating with a friend on the art. And so he makes, yeah, and not like you said, it's, it is still serious and the way that it's, they are, it's pretty. Yeah. But the intention is just to not take wine too seriously. Right, right. And also to go back to that word biodiversity, there's all, mm. there's the different plants and there's the different animals, animals that are living together in mm-hmm. synergy. And that's kind of the idea with the brand in general. Love the whale. <laughs> Why did you choose a whale? So the Valzigi label has an underwater kelp forest scene. Mm-hmm. And that is inspired by, there's, the different scenes have are usually inspired by a place that I've been or an experience that I've had. And that was on my birthday in 2020. I went to Catalina Island with a friend who has a boat. And so we went out just free diving and we did see a whale that day. So oh my had gosh. to get the whale on there. And so that's why there's my yellow legs oh, swimming with the <laughs> swimming with the animals oh, so i grew up a simpsons lover so it only oh, made sense course. that my skin color was yellow oh, on the I label love it yeah <laughs> so if you to come back to you know sourcing um i would say less dominant varieties mm-hmm. how are you finding these places that have valdegui and not that riesling you can't find it around here, oh there's but, not a, there's not a lot of riesling being yeah grown, yeah especially in uh organic biodynamic ways so i uh just make a lot of calls mm-hmm. <laughs> i you don't necessarily know these vineyards already or you do? well i do my my research and i know of them but it i have to get in touch with vineyard managers mm-hmm. and ask them 
hey, I'm a small producer and I see that you're growing Riesling. Um, I've had other producers Rieslings with this fruit and I would love to be able to buy some. Do you have any that I can buy? Mm -hmm. And they could easily be like, screw you, you're not buying enough fruit. We don't, don't waste our time. But luckily there have been enough vineyard managers that are like, wow, yes, we would love to support you and what you're doing. Or we, yeah, we do have some available, happy to sell you one and a half tons of fruit. And Mm -hmm. so then pretty much once you get in with a vineyard contract with the managers, they check in with you every year. Hey, you still looking to buy the fruit unless you're not doing a good job of paying paying. (laughs) or you're really annoying and asking them to do a bunch of farming things or you're not nice yet. Do you get to choose pick date or is it you do get to totally so I go out and drive around in my Prius, which is not the most vineyard (laughs) efficient car, but so it probably looks really goofy. But I drive out to the vineyards that I'm sourcing from and drive up to the rows that Usually they have little signs up that say your name. Yeah. And so even that, just because this is also new for me, makes me, it makes it me feel happy. Totally. <laughs> yeah. To see your name on the yeah. post. Lumina wines. And so yeah. I walk up and down the rows and I sample the fruit and um, typically collecting clusters in a organized random fashion mm. to then crush the the fruit and get the juice and test the sugar level, the bricks level, yeah. and taste it along the way to be able to just figure out how the acid level is tasting in balance with the sugar level and trying to decide the pick date a couple of days ahead of time to give the vineyard manager a heads mm-hmm. up. Something I did last year just for fun is I decided my pick dates just purely based off taste. I decided... I was going to ask if you felt like you were there. There's winemakers that I look up to that yeah. I really appreciate that do that. And, you know, I don't have employees under me. I don't... Yeah. I have kind of the attitude with this, Hey, if I mess up, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. There's always next time. Luckily, knock on wood, I haven't yeah. messed up yet, but I, I just decided I'm going to go for it and just trust my instinct on this one. Trust my gut. And it was really fun. And I was really happy with how the Good. wines turned out. So I think I'm going to do it again next year. Yay. Then it must've went pretty well. So you have Riesling um, from Coquelicot, I think. From Coquelicot Vineyard, okay. which is down in Los Olivos District yeah. in Solvang. Uh, they are organic certified, CCOF certified, California certified organic farmers. That's what yep. it is. And uh, they have some mountain ranges around them. It's a, it's a valley that kind of captures the fog, which mm-hmm. hangs in there, which is perfect for Riesling. It does need yeah. some warmth, but it needs pretty cool climate. Yeah. Think and about where it originates or where, you know, where it's um, spiritual home is in Germany. I mean, it's cold. Totally. And so you need that acidity retained in the fruit and it has a long hang time on the vines. And that's what allows Riesling to develop all these complex, on complex, unique characteristics mm-hmm. in the fruit. And that's why they say it's, it's, the white wine that's for red wine drinkers mm. because it has the characteristics of almost just, it has the richness sometimes it has a full body, it has high acidity. And so it can, you can wait a long time before yeah. picking the fruit. Yeah. 
That's so fantastic. Okay, and then you have the Valdegui, but then you said you have a Cunoise as well. I also have a Cunoise. So the Cunoise mm. is coming from Nolan Ranch, which is in Los Alamos. Mm. And that's also a variety that I've had that, that I have really enjoyed. But it, it's one that I've been curious to work with because I've had some Cunoises that I've really loved and also some that I found to be kind of watery and like yeah. lacking interestingness. Mm. And this is a new vineyard. And I just, it was kind of more of the feeling where I knew the Riesling fruit was going to produce something amazing. I knew the Valdegui mm-hmm. was going to produce something that I'd be excited about. And the Cunois was a little more going on, going out on a limb. Yeah. And they're young vines because the vineyard itself is very young. It's just a small block of Cunois, which the history of Cunois is it's typically used more as like a blending variety yeah. in Rhone Valley with their blends where they have like 13 different varieties mm-hmm. in one wine. And... I had had some 100% Cunoises that I did really enjoy. So this, uh, it, it did turn out to be a Cunoise with a good amount of depth and kind of pomegranate notes, a little bit of earthiness and some spice, but still medium bodied. Yeah. I can't think of the last time I had a varietal Cunoise. I mean, this, I, and I don't remember much about what it tasted like. So I'd be curious. I'll bring you one. Sometime, well, <laughs> and I can come up. So I didn't realize you can actually taste these up at Desperata. So I have them at Desperata. I sell probably like 50% direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Also, I work with a distributor, which is amazing wow. that she took me on. I've been working with her since 2020. No, 2021. Amy Atwood Selection. So mm-hmm. she... Okay is amazing. She has a small portfolio with other small producers who are natural wine-esque. Yeah. And... You're afraid to say. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a vague term. I, it totally is. But I can see, like, this isn't filtered. It's unfined, unfiltered. Yep. I don't inoculate the wine yep. with yeast. It's so very... It's minimal intervention, yeah. minimal sulfide. So it falls into that world, but... I, I think that sometimes I just get nervous of using the word because yeah. either some people are totally for it. It's very trendy. Yeah. The wines that are, my wines are in different restaurants and wine shops in LA and it's doing well down there because yeah. there's such a scene for it down there. <laughs> and, uh, but also it can be a turnoff to some yeah. people as well. So it can also mean flawed, you know? So right. it, like, yes. yeah, I would be, I, I get why somebody would be afraid to call something natural wine. And you're so right. The word natural means almost nothing. Yes. Or it can mean everything depending on who you are and how you see it. So yeah, it's probably not the best term. And it's fine. It's it's just hard in general to put wine in a box or just like with any art to to put a label on something. So I I think that there are really good intentions with natural wine. And I, I think that I am drawn to... We're drinking a lot of natural-esque wine producers, but also I love all types. Yeah. Yeah, So Same. Same. But I think when it comes to my own wine, I like the idea of not using yeast and just using the natural yeast that already exists in the environment. And that's Mm -hmm. on the fruit from the grapes coming in from the vineyards and just all of those different yeasts being at work, creating lots of different aromatics and different flavors yeah. on the palate and having a lot of complexity. Mm. That's just a reflection of the sense of place of where the fruit's coming from. Yeah. yeah. And the approach, I always like to think of the, you know, there's the wine from the vineyard and there's also the wine that the maker makes and the two of them combine 
results in something like this. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things I have a problem with, with natural wine sometimes, the marketing around it. Yes. Because I love, I mean, you know, unless it's really, really crazy bready, I don't exactly. Do I, knew, I knew you were going to say bready. I don't do that. There are quite a few that, that it takes over the cellar because yeah. maybe they weren't being very sanitary. Totally. And then, yeah. So I think it, a lot of the time, the marketing around natural wine takes away from the work of the winemaker because mm-hmm. the winemaker you're not just putting it in a pit and letting it, it's not the first wine that was ever made where somebody made a mistake and left them out to rot and then drank it for whatever reason. It was like, Oh, there's something there. No, you guys work so hard. You think about it all the time. It's not, it doesn't just happen on its own. And that's why I even caught myself as I was using the word minimal intervention. It's not that minimal. We're <laughs> like, the white wines. We're stirring yeah. the barrels every day while yeah. they're fermenting. It takes a lot of time. We're constantly checking up on them and yeah. just measuring the sugar levels, seeing where they're at in the fermentation. Mm. It's it's it we're pretty hands-on, actually. Yeah. But I think that sometimes there can also be the assumption that hands-on means that there's a, also a like lot of inputs. additives and yeah. inputs. Yeah. And that's not true for our wines. And when I say ours, I also say, mean like Desperata and Valia. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I'm also a part of that world as well and that mm-hmm. style during harvest time and working with those wines. So yeah. it, it just goes hand in hand for yeah. me. There, I don't think the average... you know, Joe Schmo consumer realizes how many additives there are in, in so many of the wines that you pick up at Costco or Vons or wherever. Um, it's shocking. You don't need to have a nutritional, you know, um, what do you call it? Nutrition facts label on wine. So you don't know what's in there. Many people just assume that it's grapes. Right. And there's so much other stuff that goes into it. And if you're wondering why maybe you get headaches after you drink, <laughs> that could have something to do with totally. it. Totally. And even just like the, sometimes the harsh chemicals that can be yeah. used in winemaking also is not an environment that I feel like is conducive to making an alcoholic beverage that you're drinking. So yeah. just like even avoiding things like that. But yeah, totally like there's, there's, so many interesting random kind of additives that can go into wine that the average wine consumer would have no idea about. And I, I, I do think that there is still an art to making wine on a large scale. I think that it takes so much math and science and chemistry and a very intelligent group of people to mm-hmm. make a wine taste consistently Experience. year to year. And I actually yeah. do feel like that is an art and of its own. And I actually have a lot of appreciation after mm-hmm. being around it in a few different places, but I just knew that I was more interested in being on the artisanal side of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I also, I, I truly don't have a, a dislike or a, for those making totally on a bigger scale. Totally. And you know, I, um, as I'm talking about additives and everything, nutrition facts, whatever. I mean, I, I love Cheetos. Like I love <laughs> I know, them. right? That's the thing. Yeah. And so the nutrition <laughs> facts on that, that doesn't stop me from eating them. And Cheetos as crazy <laughs> as they are, they are in their own way, a little work of art. Yeah. 
right? Oh my god! Even though they're like yes. mass produced and crazy, no, there's. So I'm just saying, there's a wide. Yes. I'm not trying to make light the of it. The spicy but there's a lime wide... flavored ones. No, mm. girl, you yes. just go back to standard old. <laughs> no, no fiery. I'm hot spicy juice. everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we should have a Cheeto tasting. That's just Ooh, a matter of yes. time. That yeah. sounds good. <laughs> okay, Janie, tell me um, if it was your last day on Earth and you were mm. like, "I'm doing so good. I, I'm done. I'm ready to die." What is the food that you would eat and who would be there and what would you drink? I wonder what that situation would be where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm about to die, but I can still choose my I wish <laughs> I wish we had that, actually. Yeah, I wow, wish we had the beauty that. of a choice, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure some people do. I'm sure yeah. it's happened. Yeah. Okay, if I was about to die and I <laughs> would be like, please give me sushi, raw fish, yellowtail, Spicy wasabi to dip mm. it in with soy sauce. I love fish, raw mm. fish, um, especially freshly caught. It's just you can tell the difference. And mm. um, and then you also asked a a, a person to yeah. talk to. Well, who would be with you? It can be okay. any. It can be lots of people. Okay, I have two answers to that. Yay, Trevor Noah because he's really. <gasps> funny and he's very wise so he could probably he'd probably be very soothing too he'd probably make a joke out of Mm -hmm. dying and just make me feel comfortable about the whole experience and he don't go on hold on trevor (laughs) noah is so special he is he is um so wise i think he came into the daily show Mm -hmm. you know trying to replace john stewart as a comedian but we've all found out how much more he is than a comedian so yes, and he would make you super comfortable. <laughs> You'd be so just like he'd make it peaceful. I've seen him live twice at Vina Robles yep. in Paso, and yeah, I, I felt like I was attending something super special. It was yeah. he was a comedian, but something so much more. I feel like he's like a voice for our generation. Yep. Also, Jane Goodall has always been a hero of mine. Really, we share the first same name, and even when mm. I was a little kid, I I. Just obviously, you can tell from the labels. Huge animal lover, yes, yes. and I just love everything that she stand for stands for. And mm. she's just such a wonderful activist. So I think I I would like it maybe if she was there. She would probably be long dead, maybe possibly whatever by the time I'm dying if if I were older. But her. But that's a nice trio <laughs> of people <laughs> to hang with. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So most important question: What are you drinking? Mm. What am I drinking right now? Or what are you Gosh, drinking on your deathbed? Is, actually, lately, I have been really into sake. Mm. I love that sake is just something that's really easy to sip on, can yeah. have so much complexity to it, just like with wine. And also, it's not... Because I also enjoy whiskey, but I can't yeah. have whiskey. No. You know, I need to really plan when I'm going to have whiskey because I'm going to have a headache the next day. And yeah. sake, I feel like that is something that you can sip on really nicely. Yeah. And 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 it's a, it's a new world for me. I'm I'm learning yeah. about it, so that's why I feel like it's exciting. For me. I feel like there's a whole world with sake that you could just totally go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know the producers well enough to be able to <laughs> say a certain producer, but yeah. I am kind of honing in on the differences and what I'm enjoying. And so I guess, yeah, for my, my, my last meal would also probably include sake along with my sushi. And your <laughs> Trevor Noah and your yeah. Jane Goodall. I love it. Thank you so much for coming, for sharing your wines <laughs> oh, with me. Thank and you, Yeah. And for making something 
really special. Oh, I appreciate that. This has been really fun. That's a wrap for this episode of Consumed. Thanks so much to Chris Lambert, who edits the podcast, and to you for listening. If you want more info about Consumed or any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.